When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Blakey's Boot Room, the number one Cardiff City podcast, brought to you by Wales Online. Hello and welcome to Blakey's Boot Room, the Cardiff City podcast in association with Giovanni's Restaurants. I'm your host, Glenn Williams, and I am joined again by Nathan Blake and Paula Bandonato. Gents, how are we? Good, thanks, G. In a new way of doing things, eh? I know, I know. Paul, how are you? Very good. Thanks, Glenn. Good for the Bluebirds to be in the playoffs. Yes, exactly right. So a lot on that to come. So we will be discussing Cardiff's drive to the playoffs. What an achievement that is from where we started off back in November when Neil Harris took over. And the mad night in the championship on Wednesday night and the results that uh, fell in Swansea City's way, shall we say. Um, then looking forward to the prospects of the, of the, the playoffs and uh, at the potential of a South Wales derby final. And uh, we'll also finish with some Ask Blakey and our playoff predictions. So, first of all, Blakey, Cardiff in the playoffs. Never in doubt, was it? I don't think it was... Listen, I, I, I said all along that they, they finished between 8th and 10th, right? Yeah. Uh, but you, you can look this season. No one could say, oh, well, you got it wrong, right? Because since uh, the season ended and went into lockdown, we then said it was all about who came out of the gates first, right? And fastest. And Cardiff, the way they came out, uh, you have to say, you know, back-to-back wins or three wins on a spin with a draw gave themselves a great opportunity and uh, had a bit of a, a little, I wouldn't say, I would, I would say it's more of a wobble i seen them against Fulham and there was a second half against Blackburn where I felt they were a bit um, maybe jaded, lethargic. There was, there was no energy in the performance. Uh, Blackburn were able to do to Cardiff what they had done to them in the first half. And Fulham was just an all-round poor performance. Uh, lacked energy, you know, and it's understandable under the circumstances. So, you know, getting into that playoff position, it was all about the last nine games, it, it, look, it was a toss of a coin. You wouldn't have said, we wouldn't have said Forrest are going to end up seventh, right? They've been in there practically all year. To end up out of it, Swansea and Cardiff in it, Brentford were like a steam train, got the opportunity to go automatic, then all of a sudden hit the buffers. It's just been a crazy little nine-game series. And, uh, you know, all credit to Neil Harris and the team for, for breaking in there and actually getting up because... I think we said a few weeks ago we could catch the forest. We should be looking up and not looking down, worrying what's behind us. Look up and try and track, track down forest over the last three or four games. And uh, thankfully, it's come to fruition, Glenn. Paul, what were your thoughts last night when uh, Cardiff cantered into the playoffs? Almost it's quite, quite a, a professional display from them last night against Hull. Well, you know, Blakey and myself and lots of Cardiff City fans have been here, seen it and done it before, that when it comes to these big occasions, particularly at Cardiff City Stadium, the team invariably let us down or it's a drab nil-nil or something like that, yeah? But I was supremely confident for a change um, because the momentum's a card, but also because Hull is such a woeful team and the fact Cardiff only needed a draw. Um, yeah. I did differ to Blakey. I just felt that the lockdown played in Cardiff's hands for a number of reasons. Not least, and I've mentioned this before, they had a they got a big squad, and and that enabled Harris to rotate his subs as and when, or that would have given him the opportunity to use them cleverly. Let's put it that way. But let's be blunt about this. I do not think Cardiff would have been in the playoffs without the lockdown. I think the fact that they were able to get Tomlin and Mendes Lang, both of whom have been excellent in this period when playing. The fact they were able to get them fit again was a massive bonus. 
and a significant driver to Cardiff going into the playoffs. So Cardiff were one of the teams. We argued before that, you know, no crowds would hit Cardiff more than other sides because TCS, we know what they're like, Blake here, really intimidating. Yeah. They lift the fans, home, they lift the players, home and away, they feed off them. We've discussed that before. That was a disadvantage for Cardiff. But they had a massive advantage of getting Tomlin and Mendes, particularly Tomlin, but also Mendes fit again. And they've taken advantage of that and absolutely, as you say, came out, came out of the traps flying and sort of steamrolled their way into there, if you like. And as we always said, if Cardiff can get into the top six, it's going to be hard for anybody to knock them out of there. And that's exactly what happened. And they've ended up fifth in the end. I think the big thing for me, I, I've only covered this club for, for one season and at the start of the season, the first couple of months under Warnock, going into games, there was, there was always this sort of apprehension whenever I would canvass social media, um, hoping that, you know, which invariably did happen, you know, like an 85th minute winner or, or a clinch, you know, a one-all draw. And I suppose the biggest compliment I can pay the, the last few months, really, is there's a confidence now within the, the Cardiff City fan base that they're going into games thinking that there's more chance of them winning than not. So I suppose that's testament to Harris and the, and the job that he's done. But Blakey, what, what, what's impressed you most about Harris? I know he even addressed it last night. He said he, he wasn't a, a huge name coming in. And it, the thing that's driven him is the fact that he's had to win the Cardiff City fans over throughout the season and it keeps driving him. Has he sort of won you over, if you needed to be won over? Um, listen, I, I, don't measure, I don't measure success on, you know, getting to the playoffs. I, I, you know, I, we've said, you know, Cardiff got a, a massive squad. Uh, I think the problem for Cardiff City was they never played enough football. They never had possession of the ball more. Under Neil Harris, as we've spoken about on the boot room many a times for probably two years prior to the club doing it, it was all about transition and transition to a manager who moved the team forward, played a bit more football. Well, in the beginning, we didn't see that from Neil Harris, mm. right? And had, I think, the, the season continued, I think the pressure was growing for him just to get into a decent position rather than think, right, we can realistically make the playoffs. Since the lockdown and comeback, you know, it was a free-for-all. It, it's, it's every man for himself. There's probably, they were probably down to about 12 or 13 position at one point. It would have made that top six, right? So, you know, you give the manager credit for what he's done up to now, but I don't, I'm, I'm not in the habit of saying, oh, he's now the, you know, top manager and brilliant. He's still yet to prove himself to himself, let alone myself, yourself and the fans. He's still going to want to get through that playoff and get himself into the Premier League, even if he then goes on and gets relegated from the Premier League. I still think it's a fantastic achievement getting to the playoffs, then the playoff final. But really and truly, it's can you get promoted, right, in unexpected circumstances. And I give the man credit, but I'm not going gonna, I'm not, I'm not to start lavishing, like, you know, uh, ridiculous amounts of praise on him for what he's done. He's done what he's paid to do and he's got a good squad. It was just about mentally transitioning that team into a more footballing team. And that for that, I give him a lot of credit because, like I said, pre-lockdown, it didn't look possible. Post, then, you know, they've played better football. I'd, I'd argue with anyone who said, oh, well, in the same position before, they've just been lucky. That's not true. You can, fizz, you can see it. I can see it with my own eyes. The football is better. Like you've just mentioned, fans are calmer because they feel, right, if you've got more possession of the ball, we've got more opportunity. And that just, that's just logic, Glenn. Do you know what I mean? So I think all around, that nervousness and that tension of trying to make the playoffs or trying to get there, you know, it seemed to dissolve when we came back. So I think, listen, I say he's done a fantastic job to do what he's done to get to this point. But, you know, it's it, it only as good as your last game. Then, you know, if you lose against Fulham and go out, the tie turns again, right? But I think it's an achievement in itself getting to the playoffs, first and foremost, let me say that. So whatever happens now is a bonus. 
but I credit him for what he's done up to date. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Abba, what's, um, I know you spoke about Lee Tomlin and Mendes Lang there who've impressed since, since coming back, but has the team looked more attacking in general, do you think, all across the park? They've looked more threatening, if that's what you mean. Yes, um, um, I, I concur with a lot of what Blakey said there. I mean, it sounds harsh to say the jury's out on the manager because he's done a fabulous job. He really has. Um, but I do, I've always felt that squad was more than good enough to be in the top six, at least. They, and and they, they've got into their rightful position. Um, what, what, where Neil Harris takes a lot of credit for me is is watching the game against Middlesbrough, for example, Glenn. Um, I was watching it with my kids, and we were saying, do you know what's actually enjoyable watching Cardiff now? Yeah. You know, previously, <laughs> as, as you alluded to earlier, Glenn, you know, we've seen that being there at the start of the season with last minute goals against, I don't know, your Huddersfields, your Lutons, whatever the games were, with the Canton end willing that ball in from a long throw and somebody getting a knock on and so on. But it's actually enjoyable watching Cardiff control a football match, dominate a game, look, look, had to have a real cutting edge. Um, and obviously the Tomlin and Mendes factors are a big part of that. But clearly Neil Harris has, has utilised the time necessary to get them playing. The, I think Blakey uses the phrase muscle memory as long ball previously, to sort of get that out of their system and get them playing some nice football. And, you know, People say, oh, those kind of players could never play football. I'm watching Sean Morrison and Joe Bennett playing that ball out from the back beautifully now. I re- you know, and it's a pleasure to watch. And I have mentioned Mendes and Tomlin, but I have to give a particular shout out to Sean Morrison. He's been absolutely brilliant since the restart. Yeah. He's led by example, but he has actually looked at the best centre-back in the Championship since the restart. He's been outstanding in both penalty boxes, by the way. Yeah. That's the other thing that Cardiff had actually stopped being a set-piece threat. They started becoming one again now in the last couple of games. Um, So, yeah, like Blakey, you do give Neil Harris a lot of credit for what he's done, but I can understand why one or two still have reservations. And, you know, it is about going to the next stage, I suppose, but at least you can see the club moving, the team moving in the right direction now with, with the style of football, as I say, that, We've been crying out for on this show all season, right from the right from the back of August. For years, Paul. Years. Yeah, but particularly this season, it. Blakey, because yeah. we saw we saw what I don't you know I don't want to have a go at Neil Warnock. I spoke I had a long chat with him last last week out of the Middlesbrough game. You know, we you know good as cold as always, but you know when it, when he bought in Aidan Flint, Marlon Pack, you could see that it was going even more Route One, um, yeah. and it went that way, and. Yeah. We would just look, look, just just embrace a little bit, a little bit of a more stylish style of play. Keep the ball. Don't let the, don't give the ball away to the opposition every time. So you're sitting deep, and then it's coming back at your defence, which is constantly under pressure. We said all these things from August, September, October onwards, didn't we, Blake? Yeah, November. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's not a question of you know, oh. It, glad to see it's happening the way we wanted now it's just glad to have the way all fans wanted it to happen because you just felt this team this squad had so much more about them than they were showing well I think Bakuna's comments when he said they were playing more football and he mentioned Neil Warnock's old school of playing right I think that summed it up I think what happened was under Neil I think he'd done a tremendous job Neil Warnock coming in rescuing the club uh, from I thought it was a possible relegation battle, right? As many fans did. And then the following season, getting promoted. But I've always maintained and will always maintain at that point, the club, that season, after five or six games, the, 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 the heat was on. It was, it was obvious that there was something special was going to happen. At that point, they should have then started planning for life without Neil if they got to the Premier League, right? If you're really going to move it forward. Right, missed that opportunity, decided to stick with him. And then what happened was, you know, what often happens, you know, the aftermath of the relegation, players don't kick into gear. It's very difficult to get back up, automatic promotion. Subsequently loses his job. Neil Harris is brought in to transition, as the boot room had been calling for, like Paul says, all season. But 
for longer than that. You know, transition into more football because ultimately we're in the entertainment business, right? You're trying to entertain. I know it's all about winning, but, you know, winning whilst entertaining is the ultimate. You know, it's called the beautiful game for a reason, right? And I think what you're seeing now and some of the goals you've seen of recent, you know, seeing good goals in Neil Warnock, don't get me wrong. Mendes Jr., what have you. But I think watching the team, they just, they seem more confident in themselves with what they're doing and a better understanding of what they're doing rather than individual performances, you know, happen to be at such a height that, you know, it drags you over the line. I think now it's more of a cohesive team going forward defensively. And, you know, I think the, the point Paul makes about set pieces and we look pretty weak, I think that's what happens in transition because you're going away from what you do best, right? And what you know best. And Cardiff were basically a team that defended their box well and attacked the opposition box well. But in between, there wasn't a lot to talk about, mm. right? So all of a sudden now you've got Cardiff transitioning from a team that's trying to maintain a good defence, score more goals and play more football in between the 18-yard boxes. Sounds easy, but as we've seen, like to Paul Trollope and what have you, it's not easy to transition out of that, right? So I give, that's what I'm saying, I give a, little, a lot of credit to uh, Neil Harris because, you know, I still think, you know, we're yet to see the real flavour of what he's doing and how far he can take it. But if you're talking transition, I'd argue anyone down to say that they're not playing better football now than they were in the Neil Warnock. It's as simple as that. So they're going in the right direction. However, it's not about Neil Harris. It is about the club finding its philosophy, understanding. And if they don't understand, read what it, read what it means. Look at other clubs. The mighty Arsenal went away from their philosophy, lost it, and are still struggling now. My old club, Bolton. I can't believe I'm going to be watching Bolton Wanderers playing League Two against Newport next year. Right? It's unbelievable. Have your philosophy and stick to it. Understand your fans, because your philosophy comes through that. Understand what they want. Understand what you want to see as an entertaining owner or chairman or whatever. And impl implement that into your club. And don't move away from it. That's my advice. I think there are things in the last two games which have highlighted to me sort of how far Cardiff have come in, in the last eight months. I mean, there's the obvious comparison because it was Warnock and Harris against Middlesbrough. But the three goals that Cardiff scored against Middlesbrough really highlighted how much they've evolved their attack. So the first goal was header from a set piece. Second goal was quick breakaway through Tomlin and Murphy, ran up the field and scored. Third goal was wing play, lovely wing play from Mendes Lang, um, tricked his fullback and, and squared in. It's a nice finish from Murphy. Weren't seeing that sort of variety at the start of the season at all. And there was that there was an image of Warnock with his hands on his head looking at Cardiff playing against him, which is a synonymous image of him now in the South Wales derby of, of Warnock and he was Cardiff manager with his hands on his head. And just the juxtaposition of those two photos really struck a chord with me. And last night... Um, against Hull. One thing stuck out with me, obviously there's no fans in the stadium so you can hear everything. And it was a period where Hull were in control of proceedings a little bit after half-time. And Harris came out to the touchline and he shouted, Oi, we're not man-marking all over the field anymore! And that's one thing that Neil Warnock <laughs> players got criticised for doing and the players hated doing it. And I, I just remember that it, they were just sort of sinking back into their old thing and Harris ran up to the touchline and sought to stop it. And I just thought that, that really summed it up for me. It's both in defence last night and in attack against Borough. Those two things really sort of highlighted to me. What did you just up. say, Glenn? The players hated doing it. Yeah. Right? It, listen, when you're a player... You want to play as best football you can. That, that's just since you were like knee-eye go, right? That's, that's what you want. You see the greatest teams, you see the greatest players, and you try and emulate it. It's as simple as that. So when you, I, 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 I spent a pre-season under uh, Tony Pulis, right, at Stoke. Trained with him, and, mate, 
I knew, even whether or not I would have been offered a contract with Stoke, we'll never know. But I knew that I couldn't play with this guy. Newport man, know him well, like him as a bloke and what have you, but I couldn't play that style of football. I can't have someone who played, no disrespect to anybody, but played at a certain level, as managed at the highest level, not international, but high level, Premier League. I can't have this person then dictating to me, because I don't think he had at that point managed in the Premier League, dictating to me how and where I should run in relation to what I see. Because he's the only manager that I ever played under, and this was at the back end of my career, only manager I'd ever played under who was trying to control me like a, like a, like a pawn in a chess game. Stand here when the ball's there. Stand there when the ball's there. Run here when the ball... And I'm like, well, sometimes things just come off the cuff. It's, that's not football. It is. You can play that style. But, you know, I've got an imagination. People, you know, people do things just off the cuff. Mm. What are you going to say? If someone all of a sudden just hooks one over their head, goes over the top of the centre half, and I'm quicker than him, or I'm still in the position you want me to be, rather than the position I should be naturally, what are you going to say? You're going to then tell me off and not be in the right position to run onto the ball. So it, it, for me, that is what the, there's certain managers who play that style. They want to keep a hold and keep control of almost every single solitary move on the pitch. Whereas Neil Warnock has more of a, not a freedom, but it's basically... Follow Neil him Harris. here, Neil Harris, follow him there. Uh, no, Neil Warnock. Neil Warnock had a make basically follow him here, follow him there. If he goes to the bathroom, you go with him. Mm. Neil Harris is now trying to just tear that down. Listen, forget that. But old habits die hard, right? That's what they say. So the default position when someone's not working is you slip back into your old mode. And I think what you've explained there, Glenn, is exactly that. Mm. When you're not sure, they start to slip into their old mode, right? But him giving them that G up and giving them that get going again and understand what is required of you by me, I think that, uh, that tells a tale in itself. And like, you've said, like I've said, a couple of players coming out and saying they didn't enjoy Warnock's football, it's not a surprise at all. You know, you want to you play. It's okay when you're winning. I say that. When you're winning, it's fine. Nobody looks at it because you're winning. But when you start to lose, listen, that house will come tumbling down quicker than a, a paper house in the wind because there's just no, there's no real foundation for it in today's game, right? Because there's, you go down to League Two. I watched uh, uh, League One, sorry, Wickham play someone in the, in the, in the playoff final the other day. And the football was brilliant. You know, you go down and down the leagues and people are trying to play football. You know, and, and, and I feel when you're not doing that, you feel like a bit, you're on the outside. And when you talk to your mates who might be playing for, you might, might be at Tottenham, your mate might be at Watford, your mate might be wherever. If they're playing football and trying to play and then you're explaining what you're doing every day in training and people are going, what? You're still doing that? <laughs> I, I, think, you know? I, think, I think, Blake, just to wind up in this section, because it all comes around to the same thing of what credit we give Neil Harris, yeah? I think a mm. key part of this, which we haven't mentioned, are the personnel changes he made, he, he made which were bold mm. calls, right? He dropped Neil Etheridge, your hero, Lee Peltier. He dropped Aidan Flint. He mm -hmm. dropped Marlon Pack. He dropped Callum Patterson from the first eleven. Gavin White, all of them with Warnock kingpins because they were packs. A bit unfortunate putting Pack in with this bracket, but you know what I mean. They became Warnock kingpins with that style of play. Like Etheridge would slow, was brilliant goalkeeper for Cardiff, but he'd slow the slow the ball down. He'd never throw it out. He'd never roll it out. He'd wait for the opposition to reset, then kick it. And because Warnock wanted that, there's six Warnock kingpins there that that Neil Harris ousted from the first team. And that helped evolve the style because of the different personnel that he picked in their place. Yeah, I agree. I think I think I think Marlon was a was, was a good one there. 
unfortunate to bracket Marlon with that, you know. But, yeah, but, but I thought I thought Marlon, in fairness, was a was a good signing, and I think Marlon's uh, the way he plays, he he can only play for me in the sixth position, right? But he has to play with dominating centre halves, right? Like like um, Sean Morrison. But Sean then has to, in, in, to play with someone like Marlon, he has to continuously push him away into the midfield because Marlon has a tendency to drop into defence, which then empties your midfield if the likes of Bakuna and Rowles or Wokes are running forward. So I think you're right, Paul. I think there's been some very, very good calls from Neil Harris. right? And uh, I think his substitutions have been fantastic up until you could probably say uh, the Fulham game, maybe uh, Derby, where you think, right, we've got to win these games. Uh, but you know, I think a lot of credit got to go to the manager for where they are and what they're doing and the style of play. Um, it's far better than just as a simple spectacle in an empty stadium. It's 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 better to watch than when you had a full stadium under the previous manager. The football is just far better. Okay, that's the end of part one. In part two, we'll be looking at the mad night in the championship and looking ahead to the playoff semi-final. Subscribe to The Boot Room on iTunes or listen on walesonline.co.uk. Welcome back, and in this section we will be discussing the playoff semi-finals. But before that, we can't move on to that without discussing... The crazy night uh, that happened in the championship on Wednesday night. Uh, I don't think any of us in our in our wildest dreams thought that Forest were going to seed uh, a five goal a five goal swing, which they did. End up losing four one at home, um, and astonishingly, Swansea doing their own thing and win, winning four one <laughs> away. Um, it was mad, wasn't it? Absolutely crazy. Um, Trying to report on, on my own game while keeping up to the scores with uh, with other scores uh, was was one of the more challenging things I've done. Let's say, um, but yeah, Blakey, that that's got to be one of the one of the maddest nights that, that the championship has seen in recent years. Yeah, the swing was incredible. You know, um, you know, uh, Swansea scoring four goals as well, and you know, you got to take your hat off to them, credit them for what they've done. But uh, it was. I I do. If you're if you're not a Forest fan, you got you gotta <laughs> you gotta be heartbroken. As simple as that. You know. You've seen it under Leeds in in past years, and the problem is when it happens to you. It happened to me at Wolves. Um, you know, the following season, if you don't break that jinx, I tell you, I know it will come down. I know that will follow those players. You know, every time they get towards the back end of the season, oh, remember the collapse in 2020 and blah, 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 blah. So it starts to play into the memory of the players. So, you know, it's sad, but it is what it is, Glenn. Your, 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 uh, your job as the footballer is to go out and win the game. You know, don't look over your shoulder and see who's behind you and who's coming up from, you know, the place below you. Just look forward, look ahead, look up, and constantly try and put pressure. And, you know, it just showed, I think, Forrest and Brentford, when the pressure was on, West Brom just about held on in there. Yeah. Right? By the skin of their teeth. But if you look at Brentford, they had a great opportunity, right? And people have been saying, why, they're, they're favourites in the playoffs if they make it, even to go up automatic. Bang, wheels have come off. Why? Pressure. Right? That's what pressure does. You can be flying, you can be all oh, this greatest team and all that. But when someone says to you, right, today, you have to win. It's not a case where you can draw. You have to win the game. Whether you're home or away, actually at home there's more pressure. Mm. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty and some says you, you have to win, often this is the result. Right, because the pressure for many people is just too much, and I think that's simply what happened to Forest and Swansea. No, well, a little pressure, yeah, but not the same amount of pressure. The pressure is 
if they collapse and we win, we're in. Yeah, there's no. Yeah, right? there's, they could just go for that's it, couldn't they? There's no real pressure. That's, well, that's different to where if we if if we collapse and lose, they're in. Right? Which one would you rather be in? Yeah, it's a short a short to nothing, isn't it? If you're if you're the ones chasing. If you're Swansea, you got nothing to lose. Mm. Everything to gain. If you're Forest, what? We've been in here for 250 or 60 days, and then we lose in the final game on goal difference. You, mate, if that was a bet, you would probably got odds of a million to one on it. Right? <laughs> but that's why we love football, because it happens. Um, Paul, uh, Cardiff fans were, were quick to sort of take the social media uh, last night and perhaps poke fun at Nottingham Forest a little bit for the whole... Albert the Doma saga. Some of them believe in. There's a bit of karma that went Forest's way. What do you make of all that? <laughs> I suppose so. Neil Harris has sort of alluded to something similar, hasn't he? Um, I don't think it really matters, Glenn. To be honest with you, I think that they're they're right of it now, and the focus needs to be on the four teams, including Cardiff, who who are very much in the shakeup. Um, Funny enough, Forest collapse disappointed me in another way because um, I would rather Cardiff were playing Brentford in the playoff semi-final rather than Fulham. It's a personal choice. I think Brentford are there to be got at. But it is what it is. It's Fulham instead. And so that's where the, that's where the focus needs to be. Still, still confident though, Paul, or, or not so confident because it is Fulham and then they beat Cardiff a couple of weeks ago? I think it's a 50-50 call. Blakey and I spoke about this um, at the weekend, I think. Um, I know, you know, he was of the view that Fulham might have too much for Cardiff on the base of what we saw at Craven Cottage. But I think we both agree that Cardiff were a different team with Lee Tomlin in it. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, they were overrunning the midfield that day. And I know Dion Sanson had a bad game. Another big call that, that Harris made, he sort of taken him out of the firing line, if you like. Yeah. Um, little bit unfortunate, but there we are. Um, but I just think they're a different animal with Lee Tomlin in there in every sense in terms of controlling the game and looking more of a threat and keeping hold of the ball better. And I just, I suspect, Glenn, it'll be a really, really tight game. I think there'll probably be nothing to choose between the teams after the first leg. And I don't think there'll be many goals. And it could go either way at Craven Cottage next on Thursday week in the in the second leg. It's just too hard to call for me. I'm going to back Cardiff because they've got momentum with them, but then so are Fulham, really. I know they only drew on the last day with Wigan. They too, Blakey, could have had automatic potentially, but yeah. didn't win when they had to. But, you know, they've got they've got proven players in that side, you know, Mitrovic uh, uh, and Kearney and Arter and, and you know, um, the left-back Brian. You know, they've got... Uh, knockout as well. They've got real, real flair there. They've got a Bobby really Reed. good midfield. Bobby Reed. I forgot about Bobby Reed. Um, but I do not think any team, and that includes Fulham, will have wanted to play Cardiff. Um, I was looking at the records actually, Glenn. Cardiff don't have a good record against Fulham. I think it's something like one win in eleven games, which surprises me a little bit. Two um, wins in about fifth. 14, 15 yeah, games. Yeah, which, which, is, which is a little bit ominous. Um, 2018, they won. 2018, yeah. Cardiff beat them. And then you go, um, go back to 2015 for the last time. Yeah, I remember the 2018 one. It was a 4-2 sort of thriller. Um, but mm. um, I just think it's too tight to call, Glenn. I really do. But I am far more optimistic with this Cardiff side, with the strides that have been made under Harris, um, than I would have been, say three, four months ago, if you like, you know? Because um, I think that defensively they are more sound. They do control possession more in the midfield and they've got a real cutting edge with Mendes, with Hoyler, who's, who's refreshed, with Murphy when he plays. Glatzel's looking the player that we were hoping he would be now. He's looking a real menace as a centre-forward, running at defenders, going past and offering a threat that Patterson can't offer. And, of course, Tom is there as the magic man to knit it all together. So... Fulham won't fancy playing Cardiff, but I don't think Cardiff will fancy playing Fulham either, to be brutally honest. Blakey, do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I, I would say probably out of the four teams, if Fulham could pick a team, it'd be Cardiff. Do you think? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. You, well, you, you look at the record, and like I said, they uh, Cardiff have beaten them twice in like five, six years, right? So the the record's not great, and they've played 14, 15 times. So you you know you you've got a very good record against them, and they're not where you are in terms of playing football. I don't think yet. Brentford on their day, if they click, they're gonna rip anybody. Right, Fulham, very good footballing team, and Swansea, very fo- good footballing team. So, uh, you know, I think if you know Cardiff wouldn't want to be losing to Swansea, <laughs> you know, if you gave if you gave Cardiff the choice, they would probably pick Fulham also, you know, because mm. Fulham or Brentford. But I would say they probably pick Fulham because they, they you know, they, they've got a they've got a, a good understanding of not just the team, the manager, what have you, what have you. Uh, players who have crossed over and what have you. So I think it's very important the way Cardiff approached the game. You know, remember it is two legs, all right? That, that, that is, that's first and foremost. Remember the game is two legs. Remember, you, can, you can't win it in the first game, but you can most certainly lose it, all right? You come off that pitch, you know, 4-0, Three, 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 three nil, something like that. Four one, you know, and you you can practically kiss the second leg goodbye. It's going to take a monumental effort. So, I think you just got to look how you're going to approach that game because you've played them so recently, and you know, Cardiff are nowhere near their best, and Fulham were probably at about seventy percent, right? Cardiff were probably at thirty percent of where they had been. So, Cardiff got a lot in the tank. Right? And I, I just think you have to play Fulham, especially at Fulham. You have to play on the counter-attack. Right? Whenever you stretch the game against, against Fulham, or whenever I've seen the games against Fulham of recent, Cardiff struggle because F- Fulham are, are better at them at football. Playing those triangles, movement of players off the ball and what have you. Cardiff are yet to get to that position. So what Cardiff have got in abundance is creativity and speed up top. And you've got three central midfielders. You've got one very creative and two beasts who can run all day, or you've got three beasts that can run all day and leave the creativity on the bench. So for me, I, I just think you work on a, a sit in a deep defensive block, close the ball down, close, don't give them space, and then use the likes of Mendes Lang excuse me, on the counter-attack, Josh Murphy on the counter-attack. You know, I, I just don't think then... Fulham, to me, Cardiff have never played Fulham right. Premier League, I went up and watched them. Went and watched the game the other day, uh, but Fulham. And to me, the approach is wrong every time. You play right into their hands, right? Either under Neil Warnock, it was man for man, or under Neil Harris, it was... We're going to try and play you at the same game. Don't. They're better than you at it. Sit back. Absorb pressure. Counter-attack. Utilise your, 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 your pace. Utilise your creativity. And that's why I think they'll get the result, or they can get a result, and go through again over two legs. But I would play them the same, which I don't often call for, probably play them the same way, home and away. Definitely. Counter-attack football. Uh, one player, Blakey, who's been so re-energised since, since the lockdown has been Robert Glatzel. In, in your old position, you're probably more qualified than most to, to speak about it. Um, what have you seen in him that's, that's encouraged you? Well, I, I, see, I see a confidence with like many of the players. I see them in a better... I don't speak to them, but you can just tell body language, right? They, they, they seem more confident. They seem in a better frame of mind. And I think it's probably down to trying to play more football and knowing that I'm not going to have to just try and back in and fight and, and feed off scraps. We're actually starting to play balls where I'm comfortable running on to. I've always said, Robert isn't a six foot three type of player who's going to back in and hold up the ball. Blah, blah. He can back in and get hold of it at times, but that's not his strength. His strength is he's not blessed with mad pace. So you've got to think you've got to get up to the eight-yard box and then 
I'd have slipped ball through for him to run onto because he makes good runs around the eight-yard box or get the crosses in behind the defence because you're running an attack with ball. He's not the type of player you're going to play into and off as a platform frequently. He can do it, but it's not his strength. So for me, he just seems in a better frame of mind, more confident. But that's what goals gives you on top as well. You're scoring goals as a striker, you, you feel untouchable. So I think it's a combination of things, but I think, you know, you have to give again the manager and his staff credit for getting the players into that frame of mind. Uh, and it's what, you know, three wins on the bounce. It's, you know, you're, you're asking the team to follow you as a manager. You get three wins off the bounce. All of a sudden, everyone starts believing, hey, we can actually do this, right? And going into a game saying we can do it rather than I'm not sure, you know, is, uh, is a massive difference between the two. So, for me, he just looks better all around. I think Cardiff playing a, a brand of football that's suiting him more and more. Abo, I seem to remember before football started back, you wrote an article that said Robert Glatzel could be the striker who fires Cardiff City to, to the playoffs. Now, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that he did fire them to the playoffs, but you can't deny that he's, he's had a big hand in it with his goals. And I, and I took a lot of flack for the article because people were looking at Robert Glatzel, what's he going to do? He wasn't even in the team at the time because it was Patterson. But the thought process was, yeah, we can talk about Tomlin and, and others, but the thought process was, and Blakey will identify with this, if you can score X number of goals in, in a nine-game mini-league, then your team has got three-quarters of a chance. And I just felt Glatzel was the only one who was likely to do that for Cardiff. Um, now, obviously, he, he started really well. I think it, including the Swansea game, it was something like four goals right at the start, um, Glenn, the Swansea friendly, I mean. But what's impressed me about him is he just looks a good centre-forward at the moment. He's getting the ball, he's turning, he's running at defenders, he, he, you know, and he's doing things that Callum Patterson cannot do for Cardiff, and it's helped. This evolving of the style, if you like, he looks a genuine threat. And then, to be fair, when Danny Ward has come on, and, you know, I, I don't buy into Danny Ward being this great player the way a lot of the fans do, but Danny Ward's looked really effective. Again, I think it's maybe it's because the style suits them both a little bit more. And I just, I just think, Glass, leaving the, game, the recent games where he's been taken off, Glenn, I was thinking, why are you taking him off? He's playing really, really well here. He may not have been scoring a goal in that game, but he's really troubling and stretching back fours. And he's, he's actually, Blakey says he's not quick. He's shown me a turn of speed that I didn't think he had, to be fair. And, you know, for a big man. And suddenly, I know Blakey argued right at the start of the season that, you know, you're not getting the best out of Glatzel. He may be six foot four inches tall, but Route 1 doesn't suit him. And I raised my eyebrows at that comment. I'm thinking, well, why can't Route 1 suit a six foot four inch bloke who Warnock has brought in for that very reason? But you can just see he does like running onto the little balls that Tomlin will play in or, or linking with Mendes and, and it, linking with the midfield that are getting further forward now. And he just looks, he's beginning to look a proper centre forward to me and one who scores goals as well. So there's been a, he's looking better than I thought he was, Glenn. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Do you know when you say, do you know when you say that, Paul, when you said like, um, Oh, how can a six foot three centre forward not be a platform? I would say to you, like, you look at your, your, your personal experience, you've been writing on Cardiff since uh, Fred Flintstone was around, right? And you look at someone like when I came to Cardiff, Chris Pike, right? Now, as a player, I always I looked up to Chris Pike. He'd say, Oh, you never showed it. But I always admired and respected him, right? Because when I first came to Cardiff, he was the man. Now, if you say to Pikey, Pikey, I went to the back in, hold up the ball, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's not his game. Glatzel is very similar to Pikey. He just hasn't got his pace, right? What Pikey had was fantastic pace and a brilliant finishing ability. Now, what Glatzel's got is good pace and good finishing ability, right? So, I've seen these centre-forwards in my past, but as a... As a player, you have to have intelligence. You have to understand, right? It's no good me playing in the pikey to get it back to then play one-two off him to get it back and dribble on myself. 
I no no no. I've got to beat the fullback and get the ball across, or beat the midfielder and slip the ball into the channel for Pikey. Because when he's one on one, going that way toward their goal, he's almost unstoppable, and he's got a fantastic right foot finish. Glatzel's very much the same. You have to understand that size and stature doesn't mean to say, right, because he's big, he's good at that. Right? I've played with five foot seven, five foot eight strikers who are great at holding up the ball. Because this old, well, Kenny Daglish, one of the greatest at it. Right? Short, five eight. Right? Mike Hughes, five ten, Sparky. Sparky, five ten, five left. Probably the best centre forward I've ever seen in my career at holding up the ball. So it, it, it depends. And you have to understand, you don't just buy a player. And I feel that's what the club done with, um, with Glatzel. They bought a player. They thought, right, fits into our... No, 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 you've got to know. I don't know when our scout looked at Glatzel and thought, yeah, he can play in a Warnock team. Never going to work. Never in a month of Sundays. Totally different philosophy of player. You need, you know, you, you, you would have been better with a, a Kiefer Moore or something like that. Who's just in, gets spins to the back post, looking to get over his fullback. But with a Glatzel who's got movement, likes to run channels, you know, uh, it, 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 was a, it, it didn't really fit. Now we're seeing the best of him because they're playing more football. It's as simple as that for me. Let me throw a question at you, Glenn, because I know you're a big admirer of Callum Patterson, or certainly the attributes he brings to the team, as we all are <laughs> to a degree. But Go on, do, you, do you see? No, no, it, you know, because Patterson, you know, was was was, you know, he was the first choice centre forward going into lockdown. Glenn was absolutely right; he was Harris's first pick. Um, do you see that Glatson and Ward bring so much more to the game than that Harris is trying to evolve than Patterson, or or not? No. Yeah, yeah, no, I do. Um, I think it helps that the last month or two that they played to Glassell's strengths a lot more. I think back in January and February when they were still trying to transition, I think they were still really reliant on Will Vaux's long throw-ins and Callum Pass yeah. winning yeah. a lot of them and scoring goals. So it's horses for courses sometimes, isn't it? I don't think they were quite at the level of, of a footballing philosophy whereby Ward or Glatzel could flourish as, as they are now. I think back then he was the right person to pick because Will Vaux was throwing his arm off every game and they were lumping free kicks into the box still, which, you know, like, that you, you can't knock it. I mean, that, that's how they were winning games and, and getting results then. But it, it, it has moved on now and I don't, for one second, think that, that Callum Patterson should be in, in front of Robert Glatzel at the moment or, or Danny Wolf, possibly. But, uh, yeah, and I, and I, and I, but let me, let me say this, Paul. When the manager needed to go to someone to lead the line with aggression and he's going to run hard and he's going to try and get goals and put opposition under pressure, he, didn't, he looked around, he gave them all a little chance. But even I've gone on and said, I've said before, he's not a number nine. He'd do a job for you, Callum, but he's not a number nine, right? He doesn't doesn't make runs. He does, I, don't, I don't think he completely understands the position, which is acceptable to me because he's not a number nine. However, what Callum has is the old brave that, right? When I get on the pitch, it doesn't matter who I'm playing for or who I'm playing against, it's 100%, right? And when the manager needed someone, because a manager has to rely on trust players, when he needed someone to fall back on and reliable, who's reliable? Patterson was the only one who was standing up. Right, so I, I, I was saying he, the, the team to drag it to where it needs to be needed Patterson, needed that aggression, that fight, that you know, die hard sort of attitude. I'm gonna get mix it with people and blah blah blah, blah. because you know, the likes, to, likes of um, Danny Ward and Glatzel, I don't think they were gonna give you that to the same extent. Right, so for me, I, I completely take your point, Paul, but I completely take Glenn's as well. I when he said horses, of courses, at the time, Neil Harris, when he need when he first came in and he needed to get results and he was under pressure, he had to. There was no other choice for me. It was it had to be Patterson because what he was doing, he was making other people right. Come on, follow me. I'm it was Gary Medine for a while. 
I'll go and have a fight. Listen, let's just let's just leave that one there. <laughs> let's, just, let's just leave that one there, right? Gary had a good goal, but it he didn't did. really work He's, out for him. Glenn, Glenn's Absolutely right, Blakey. Neil Harris loved Gary Medine when he first came, didn't he, Glenn? He did. Yeah, he's played him every game for six games. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Let's yeah. just leave that one there. Well, anyway, we're hoping that Cardiff get past Fulham and get to Wembley, but who will they be playing? There's obviously a second semi-final, um, Brentford and Swansea City. How, how do we how do we see that matchup, Blakey? Ooh. If I was a betting man right now, I'd put my money on Swansea. If I was a betting man right now, Brentford went last five games, lost the last two, won the three before. Swansea won the last two, uh, drew one, lost one, and won their, the, 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 the fifth game they started. So for me, if I, if I was betting, I'd go with Swansea. I think Swansea... It's, it, you've got to understand you, and you, it, come, it comes down to sometimes you've got to take football out of the equation Glenn it just comes down to human emotion now whose team would you ra- let, me, let me rephrase it and put it back to you whose team would you rather be in right now Swansea's after what happened on the mad night the other night or Brentford's yeah Swansea's definitely right so if I was a betting man I would put my money on Swansea. And I'll say, I think Swansea over two legs will do Brentford. I don't think Brentford... I don't think they can handle the pressure. When it's, well, that's, that's what they've shown me in their last two results. Right? You can't handle pressure. Mm. Just like West Brom showed me. Last four games, a loss of three draws. You just about got over the line. Nottingham Forest, last five games, three losses, two draws. And you're wondering why you're outside the playoffs. It's there in, in black and white if you really want to look at it, right? That is, that is it in a nutshell for me. So, for me, I, I listen. I, <laughs> I'd love to see a Cardiff Swansea playoff final. I think that would be fantastic. And the the the, the thing is, we're not going to have to worry about fan trouble, are we? <laughs> 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 that's that's something that we'd have to worry about, but. If I was a betting man, Glenn, I, I, yeah, hundred percent. I, I put all my money on on Swansea. I'm afraid. Uh, how is your money going? I don't know how Swansea have, have done it. I mean, Steve Cooper has done a remarkable job at that club. Um, he's picked a bunch of kids most of the season. Um, his defence has been injury ravaged. He's lost his. Best defender, Joe Roden. He, he, his other leader there, Mike van der Horn, had been injured for a lot of the season recently, um, which has meant he's had to make the team even younger. Um, I don't know how he's done it, to be honest with you. I see everything Blakey's saying about momentum and all that, and they often say the team that finishes third struggles because they're demoralised because they didn't go up, whereas the team finishing sixth has got all the momentum with them because they've just got in there, which is exactly especially what, last night. Especially which is exactly what the scenario is. But I just think over two legs, Brentford have got too much ability, particularly with that front three. And and I think I don't think they're like West Brom Blakey. I think West Brom really would have been demoralised if they'd not gotten the top two because they've been in there all season pretty much. Hmm. I think Brentford it was a shot to nothing to a degree because they they you know they've been there or thereabouts, but not in the top two, really. Um, they started lockdown in brilliant form. Brilliant form. Um, and you're right, they've lost it the last couple of games. But And it may be that they can't handle pressure and they can't handle the pressure of a playoff semi-final. But it's two matches rather than one. And, and, and I just think their forward power will prevail in the end, to be honest with you. Do you know why um, you started out by saying, Paul, you don't understand how Swansea have made it there? Yeah. And you, you've got to give them credit for that. 100%, yeah. I, I, I tell you what, what I believe is the reason they've made it. It's called philosophy. Right? It's meaning when I bring a 23 or 21 or 19-year-old up 
to my first team, he's doing exactly what he'd done in the 23s or the 18s. I'm going to ask him to do the exact same job here at first team level. The only thing he has to worry about is the pace of the game, the strength of the opposition. He's not having to come from playing a 4-3-3 every day to going into a team that's saying playing 4-4-2. Right? And that is one of the importance, just one of the importance of philosophy, mate. Right? Because my transition from a kid, I'm automatically going to be nervous, but my transition is just do what you were doing that got you here. I'm not asking you to do anything different. The difference is the striker might be a bit older, a bit wiser, a bit quicker, a bit more intelligent, whatever. But how we play and how you fit into this team is exactly what you've been doing for the last 10 years. So that takes away a whole heap of worry off a young player. And that, I believe, is why they've done what they've done and been able to get into the playoffs because they haven't spent money, you know, you know, they've a lot of injuries and people are more worried about them going down than, than going up. So to get into the playoffs the way they have, you can only say, you know, I, I don't know what the owners have put in, if they're going to put money in or whatever, whatever, but what they've got as a club is a club philosophy that they fall back on in times of need. And that, that is why it's so important because this is what you can get from it. Okay, Blakey, we'll, uh, we'll move on to some Ask Blakey then just before we, we wrap up. So we've got um, Ryan Murphy who asks, Marlon Pack or Will Vaux in the middle of the park on Monday? I think it's Harris's only selection dilemma. Like many, I could hardly... Uh. I could hardly watch Pack for most of the season, but his last two games have been his best in a Cardiff shirt. My man of the match against Derby. Um, for me, it'd be Volks all day. I think maybe Volks got a little tired, maybe. A bit leggy, but if, if you give me the choice between the two, uh, it's Volks all day for me. Okay, Nick70 asks, what does Blakey think City need to change so we don't have a repeat of the recent loss slash performance against Fulham? Uh, I think I answered that earlier, Glenn. Yeah. Uh, and that is approach the game, counter-attack football, you know, get your speed demons, right, in the team and get them playing in a way where you sit defensively deep, you don't give space because what Fulham haven't got is pace up front. It's not like Mitrovic is a speed demon, right? So you can play, you can play a line knowing that he's not going to run in behind you, right? And when I say deep defensive block, I don't mean sat on the edge of your 18-yard box, right? I mean, like, you know, the arc of the eight, uh, the center circle. You, you, you want to be using that as your, your, your line, your deepest line sort of thing. Right. And you, you allow the space in behind because you've got a good keeper who can sweep. But you know, they, they haven't got a centre forward then who's going to be burning into those, those areas. We haven't got a centre forward. But what we've got is pacey wingers, mad pace on our wing. Right? Uh, and I would, I, would, I would be looking to, uh, I think, Murphy getting two goals. I think that's a big factor. In the penultimate game, I think that was massive for his personal confidence. So if I'm, and again, you have to see these players every day in training, right? We're, we're just picking on what we see in 90 minutes. But I would say I would be going to Fulham saying, right, Murphy sit deep, Mendes sit deep. Um, a choice, my, the biggest choice is whether I go with three central midfielders or Tomlin and two central midfielders. That would be the key for me. It's whether I bring him on late or 20 minutes to go. If we're nil-nil, 20 minutes to go, I just leave it with three central midfielders. But that's the key for me. Play a deep defensive block, two wide men who've got mad pace, and, you know, counter-attack football. Because you've got three, especially in Volks, Rouse and Bakuna, you've got three central midfielders who can run all day. Right? So one of you break the line, break the line, break the line, break the line. 
don't keep stretching Fulham's back line. Do not let them get comfortable into a rhythm. Get it, get it. Mendes, bang. We're going to diag, bang. You know, you, Mendes Lang can give defenders four, five yards over 30 and still rip them. Use or, utilize all these assets you've got. Murphy, the same. Get your legs, open those legs, right? We're going to play, play, play. But as soon as we lose it, the three dogs of war in midfield, bang, bang, two or three passes, and then we're looking for you or we're looking for you. And I think that's the way I would approach the game. And depending on the result, I would approach the game very similar at home, right? If we went up there and won 3 now, crazily, right? First game's away, right? The first game's uh, at home. Uh, first game's at home. Okay. So if you, if, you, if you look to, like I said, the dilemma is... Tomlin or Rouse or whoever, Bakuna or whoever. That's the dilemma at home, away from home. If you get a good result at home, then go away from home and just go three midfielders. And yeah, maybe if you need a bit of magic last 20 minutes, bring on the Tomlin. But I would go counter-attack, home and away. Abbo, I couldn't help but notice you shaking your head at Blakey saying that he might have to leave Tomlin on the bench for the first 70 minutes. Yeah, sorry. That was that was that was a that was. I thought the first game was away, right? Okay. Um, Thanks for clarifying. But, I think we needed that. Otherwise. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I think the only the only di- the only because look, you're trying to get through. Even if you win one nil, and draw nil nil away from home, you're trying to get through, right? Mm-hmm. But I think at home, I think you take the initiative, okay? But I would still play counter attack football, and that way I would slightly different. You've got right. We can play. From left back, right back into Tomlin, and then out wide to our speed demons. The difference is when you don't have Tomlin, you have to be further up the pitch, and then play diagonals and inside fullbacks. So, okay, understanding. Emir Wynne Jones asks: In 2002 season, Wolves and Sheffield United, I assume that is seemingly a lot like Cardiff and Fulham. How did that mentally challenge Blakey in the Wolves squad and how much pressure does a team often invite? Oh, oh the old sorry, Italy? sorry. Sorry, yeah, say that again because I was thinking Wolves played Sheffield United in 2000. I, I, I'm not going to be able to remember that, but he's on about the playoff final. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. 2003, I think it was. Sorry, go again. With the question. Said, how did that mentally challenge Blakey in the Wolves squad and how much pressure does a team often invite as opposed to the cliche of it's another game? Uh, it, it is another game, but you know it's not another game. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so you approach the game, or we approach the game. Uh, I, I always tell the story about the boys coming, about 10 or 11 of the boys came to my room the night before the playoff final. Um, and we were just in there chatting about life and this and that, season and kids and what have you, what have you. So it was really relaxed, really laid back. Uh, but what I would say is there was this kind of... Sheffield United uh, had been a team that had gone for 90, 95 minutes all season and, and had built this reputation of the Warnock to say, right, they never give up, you know. I even remember my agent saying to me, look, if you're 1-0 up or 2-0 up, be careful because they just keep coming and keep coming. And we were like, I was like, there's no one in that team in any situation who I won't rip apart on my own, right? They, they got nothing, nothing at all, right? Not disrespecting them, but one-on-one, your best man against our best man, there's no contest, right? You're putting Robert Page... My mate, but Paige and me, we're in different leagues, right? So you've got nothing you're going to bring to the party. And that's how we approached it as a group of people. You know, you've got Paul Ince, his experience. Dennis Irwin, his experience. Then you've got the youngsters like Kenny Miller, Julian Lescott, Lee Naylor, Matty and Goals. You know, we, we were just, you know, Sean Newton, great experience with Charlton, playoff finals. We just knew it was going to be an, uh, a, a non-contest, if you like. And if you look at the game, the first 20 minutes, you know, if it had been a fight, they'd been stopped. Simple as that. And that's how we, we, we knew that's how we were going to approach the game. We were just in a different mental state. Mate. 
Uh, and Jonathan Davis finally asks, what does Blakey think the chances are of the Mouthwater and South Wales derbies a playoff final and how much of a gut-wrenching oh. blow knowing the fans can't be there to make the stadium rock? Well, a gut-wrenching blow is, it is gut-wrenching. Even watching Liverpool last night lift the title, I, I felt for him in a way because, you know, that atmosphere inside Anfield would have just been amazing just to watch as a spectacle. So, you feel for the fans, you really do. But, you know, having a Swansea-Cardiff, Cardiff-Swansea playoff final, ah, oh, mate, it's like, it's <laughs> what we watch football for. I know a lot of fans will say, I don't want it because I couldn't have to lose it. Yeah. But I say, I say, well, the, the winning totally outweighs the losing. You know, I can get over the losing and come back the following season. And okay, sometimes you've got to take a bit of stick on the chin from your bit of rival. But if you win it, I just love competition. I just, that's just me. I, I would prefer to play Swansea in a final than any other team. Okay, then. Let's, let's go on to the final bit and we'll do some predictions. So I suppose we should predict the outcome of both playoff semifinals. Um, and we won't do the final yet because hopefully we'll do another one of these before the final. So let, let, let's predict um, bo- both playoff semi-finals. Abbo, I'm going to come to you first. Okay, I'm going to go Swansea 1, Brentford 1. Brentford 3, Swansea 1. And I'm going to go Cardiff 1, Fulham 0. Fulham 0, Cardiff 0. Oh, nil-nil in the second leg. Oh, Blakey. Uh, Swans, Brentford. Uh, I'll go 1-1 home, 1-1 away. Swansea on penalties. That's a call. And I'll go... uh, There, my son's ringing me a minute. Uh... (laughs) Cardiff, um, Cardiff, uh, Fulham, uh, one nil, Cardiff nil nil away. Cardiff go through on uh, one nil at home. Another nil nil. Okay. Yeah, there's never many goals in the playoff final, mate. Uh, playoffs, rarely goals. Rarely. If you, if you get more than two or three goals in a game in the playoffs, you've done well. I think. Swansea Brentford 2 1 Swansea at home 2 1 Brentford away also Swansea on penalties. <laughs> How can you both call Swansea on penalties? Well, well, you know, you can't say that. He can say what he wants, Paul. <laughs> you can say what you're saying it's going to be four, four goals. You said four goals in three words. You said something like the Cardiff that. Get, the Cardiff game, Glenn. Cardiff game, I think it's going to be Cardiff 2-1 also at home, 1-1 away. South Wales Derby, playoff final, Wembley, August 4th. See you there.